0: And I hope you have your Bibles with you. So if you take your Bibles, we're going to read from Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. As we open and get to that text and follow along as I read, remember that uh, when we read the Bible and we hear it read, it's God speaking to us. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Oh, Father, we come and we ask that you would now open our hearts. We've opened our Bibles, but, Lord, we need you to open our hearts. Like that first convert from Europe, Lydia, we need you to open our hearts to respond to what we are hearing. And, Lord, we pray that as we hear We will not merely be hearers of your word, but we will be doers also. Lord, it is a privilege and an honor what we are experiencing right now. May we enjoy it with grateful hearts, and may we lean into it with all our mind and soul and strength. And Lord, as we hear from our lead pastor, I pray that we would be reminded again that we are hearing from You. And it's by the shed blood of Your Son, it's by the resurrection power, and it's by the Spirit that we can apply what we are about to hear. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thank you, and you may be seated. As we continue in our series through the book of Philippians... Serious series we're calling Join the Journey. What we have here before us in the verses that Pastor Chris read is a prayer by the Apostle Paul. It's actually a prayer that began earlier in the chapter, here in chapter 1. It began in verse 3, goes all the way to verse 11. We're looking at the second half of that prayer today. We looked at the first half last Sunday. If you missed it, you can go online to our website and uh, you can watch... Uh, the, uh, the video of it or listen to the podcast of sermons last Sunday. And so we're looking at the prayer of the Apostle Paul. Now, I will say most people never associate prayer with pop music. But there's a country song that's been around for a few years called I Pray For You. And it's a song based on the bitter breakup that the author of the song, Jaron Lowenstein, had with his girlfriend. But he puts a very interesting twist on prayer in the song in fact the song starts out with verse one i haven't been to church since i don't remember when Things were going great till they fell apart again so i listened to the preacher as he told me what to do he said you can't go hating others who have done wrong to you sometimes we get angry but we must not condemn let the good lord do his job and you just pray for them but here's the chorus I pray your brakes go out running down a hill. Remember, he's praying this on behalf of a girl that he broke up with. I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill and knocks you in the head like I'd like to. I pray your birthday comes and nobody calls. I pray you're flying high when your engine stalls. I pray all your dreams never come true. Just know wherever you are, honey, I pray for you. I think we can do much better than that prayer. In fact, the Apostle Paul here does way better than that prayer here in the book of Philippians. In fact, Paul mentions here that he's praying for these believers at the church of Philippi here in chapter 1. Now, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, he is always praying for these believers at various churches. In fact, he prays in many of his letters, and in the letters that he writes, he often includes his prayer for them. When he writes the book of Ephesians, he includes a prayer. When he writes the book of Colossians, he includes a prayer. When he writes the book of 1 Thessalonians, he includes a prayer. And that's just par and parcel for Paul's life. He prayed for people. And he did it regularly, and he even told them, here's what I'm praying for you about. Now, just as an interesting side note to Paul's prayers, whenever you read Paul's prayers for people, he never once prays for anything physical. It doesn't mean that he never did, but it's just never recorded that he did. What Paul prays for are for things that he thought were much more important. Than a general blessing for the church or just some physical needs of the people. What Paul prayed for were the heart issues that mattered most. And in the case of these Philippian believers, he prays for things that will give glory to God and bring them joy in their journey. So here's the question as it relates to the theme of Philippians Do you want joy in your journey? Now, that's somewhat a rhetorical question, and I'm going to take a leap of faith here, and I'm going to assume your answer in your own mind is, well, yeah, I I want some joy in my journey in life. And if that's the case, then notice this. Based on what Paul tells us here, here's what we ought to be doing. He says, pray, but not just any prayer. Pray specifically that you will grow in discerning love and that your life Will live a holy life, and that you will give glory to God. So here's here's the big idea: pray that you will grow in discerning love, and that you will live a holy life, so that you give glory to God. Paul prays. The essence of it, the heart of it, is this: that these believers, as well as you and I, that we will have this abounding love blended with discerning, with increasing discernment, so that our lives are holy and give glory to God, and the result of all that is we experience joy in the journey. Now, I think you would agree with me that prayer is a great privilege, but it's often a problem. It's a great privilege to pray to the Almighty Creator, who is also our Heavenly Father as His children. But we also know it's a problem. The problem is we struggle to pray consistently, regularly. And when we do pray, we are even easily distracted. It's no sooner than we get to Heavenly Father, I pray for this, than our minds are wandering off. We're thinking of this, we're thinking of what we got to do today, tomorrow, next week, and everything else. And so we get distracted easily. And sometimes we just simply don't know what to say when we pray, whether we're praying for somebody else or even pray for our own selves. And so we pray something like this, Lord, uh, 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 bless Tom, uh, uh, bless Aunt Sally, and uh, oh yeah, bless the missionaries. And if it's not too much to ask, Lord, would you somehow just kind of bless me? And that's sometimes the extent of our prayers. But Paul is showing us right here in these verses what to say when you pray. And although it's a very short and simple prayer, listen to me, it is a powerful prayer to grow in discerning love and to live a holy life that gives glory to God. So if you've ever wondered, I don't know what to pray, here's what you pray. So let's unpack it. Let's look at it. Number one, pray that your love will abound. That's your first request. That is your first request that you cry out to the Lord Almighty as your Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, help me that my love will abound more and more. Again, that's what Paul prays in verse 9. Look at it. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Now, love, in this particular prayer, these three verses, it is the main prayer request on behalf of Paul, for these believers. Everything else in this prayer flows out of this main request. Now, why would Paul pray for the Philippians' love, as well as even our love? Because love is the hallmark of our faith. In fact, it's the defining mark of those who follow Christ, or at least it should be. After all, Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so Paul prays for the most important expression of our Christian faith, and that is love. And he prays specifically that our love will do what? Abound more and more. Now, Paul recognizes that love is already present in these believers. And that they already love. But he wants their love to abound more and more and not less and less. Which is what happens if you don't pray for your love to abound more and more. Because the natural pull, the natural tendency in our lives is to grow more and more cynical, more and more jaded with life. Listen. the sting of rejection, the disappointments of life, make us more cynical, more jaded, and eventually even more bitter in life. And so we need, this needs to be intentional on us. We need to pray that our love will not grow less and less, but rather it will do just the opposite. It will abound more and more. And if we don't, we're no different than the world. Because I'm telling you, in this life, over time, we do not naturally grow in our love. It's just the opposite. We live in a fallen world. That is just naturally what happens. In fact, Paul, this is not just a one-time prayer of Paul. He repeats the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 3.12. He says, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love, he says, for one another and for all. And so here's my question. Is your love abounding More and more and not less and less. Are you growing in love? And you say, is that even possible? And I say, absolutely it's possible. Why? Because it's possible for your love to abound more and more because of what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. He says, because God's love has been poured into your hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. So what that implies is if God's love is flowing into your life, it ought to do what? It ought to flow out of your life. And so if you're one of those people who's thinking to yourself, and maybe you even verbalize it, listen, I'm just fresh out of love. I've got no more love to give. It's all gone now. Man, I say you better check the connection. You better check your source. You need a better connection to the source. Because the love of God is poured out into our hearts. And the last time I checked, God never runs out of love. Therefore, we have no excuse not to, for our love not to abound more and more. If we will pray to that end. Now, don't miss what Paul says next. He says, because abounding love, listen, it's not blind love. It's not new age love. It's not touchy-feely love. It's not even love that tolerates everything in anything. Abounding love is biblically informed. That's why Paul adds these qualifying phrases at the verse 9, where he says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. And then notice it with what? Knowledge and all discernment. Paul says, the abounding love I'm talking about, it needs boundaries or banks, just like a river needs banks. One bank is called knowledge, the other bank is called discernment. And your love needs to flow within these two banks or boundaries in order for your abounding love to be safe. Why? Because if abounding love is like a river that just overflows without any direction or without any discretion, it can kill people. Listen, water is a blessing, is it not? We need water for survival, but too much water that just overflows wherever it wants, it can destroy people's lives. And so too with love that has no boundaries. If our love is just pure emotion, if our love is just all tolerance without any discretion or direction, it can bring devastation. It needs those banks. It needs those boundaries in which to flow. And so let's look at the boundaries of abounding love. If you haven't figured it out yet, here's the two blanks in your notes. Abounding love is guided by what? First of all, knowledge And it's also guided by discernment. Knowledge in discernment. The first boundary for abounding love is knowledge. But what is that? Well, Paul uses this word for knowledge 15 times in his letters. And it doesn't just merely mean intellectual knowledge. Although that's a part of it. But rather, it has much more to do with spiritual knowledge. That is a knowledge of God. In the things of God, such as in knowing God's will, knowing God's truth, knowing God's Son, Jesus Christ. And so Paul, even himself, in this, chap- in this book of Philippians, he even defines his own ambitions in the terms of knowledge of knowing Christ personally when he says in Philippians 3.10, I want to know him. I want to know Jesus Christ in the power of his resurrection. And what this means, what Paul is telling us here, that is apart from the knowledge of God in his word, we will not love in a way that blesses others and glorifies God. But as we know God and as we know His Son more and more through His Word, through the Scriptures, we will be transformed into people whose love is abounding more and more. Which means the more you are in the Word and the more you are under the Word, the more your knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ will increase and the more your love will abound. Now, here's the point. Here's Paul's point. Here's the application. Put all your relationships in life under the authority of God's word and ask God this question. What does your word, Lord, say about this relationship? It's not what does the culture say about this relationship. It's what does your word say about this relationship? And then submit yourself to the instruction of God's word, not to the opinions of our culture or even your own personal preferences and feelings. Listen to me. Real love, true love, real love is rooted in the knowledge of God in his word. Otherwise, we cannot know how to love appropriately. But in our day, People want to separate knowledge of God's word from love. Today, love is more associated with feelings and tolerance than with truth and righteousness. And if you try to confront someone, if you try to correct someone, then you are labeled as intolerant and therefore unloving. But love, true love, Abounding love must be tied to truth for it to be truly Christian love. And so when the Bible, here's the question, another one for application. When the Bible rubs up against your preferences and opinions, who wins? Be encouraged, though, because this is a prayer. So pray. None of us here are perfect when it comes to our love, are we? So pray, cry out to God, Lord, help me to be guided in my love by knowledge of you as revealed in your word. The second boundary for abounding love, though, is discernment. Well, what does that mean? Think of it this way. Knowledge asks the question, what is right? Whereas discernment asks the question, what is best? And once you get the first question answered... You move to the second question, but don't bypass the first question, though. This word for discernment, it actually only appears here in the New Testament, but it is used 22 other times in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, specifically in the book of Proverbs. And there, it refers to this idea of practical insight that informs our choices, informs our conduct. That is how we live, how we behave. Think of, the, of discernment this way. It is spiritual wisdom. And so Paul prays now that our love that God pours into us by his Holy Spirit, he prays that our love will be guided by biblical knowledge and spiritual wisdom. Why? In order to practice that love. And so it seems what Paul has in mind, he is praying for God to help you to answer this question. What is the best way for me to love this person based on what your word says? After all, have you found it to be the case? Relationships are rather complex. Anybody here in a relationship that's simple? Simple. There are no simple relationships in life. They're all complex in life because most people are not simple. Most of us are complex. In fact, then a lot of us, we're just hard to love too. And so we need to pray for discernment and wisdom to know the best way to love that person. And so you put these things together. You need a knowledge of God and his word, and you need a discerning mind and heart in life and in your relationships, which brings us to the second part of Paul's prayer, which flows right out of this now. Pray that your love will abound more and more, but we also need to pray that your discernment will increase. Now, follow Paul's reasoning here in this prayer. Paul is very logical. Here's the reason, he says, you need these two boundaries of knowledge and discernment when it comes to abounding love. He tells us why here in verse 10. He says, so that you may approve what is excellent. Or as the NIV says, so that you you might be able to discern what is best. Or as the New English Translation says, so that you can decide what is best. In other words, we need to pray that our spiritual discernment will increase. Well, that brings us to a question. What is spiritual discernment? Here's how Paul defines it for us. Notice this in your notes. Spiritual discernment is this. It's the ability to approve what is excellent or discern what is best when it comes to living as a Christ follower. That's a simple definition of spiritual discernment. This word for approve, also translated as discern, it simply means to put to the test, uh, to examine. It was used to describe the process of testing metals to find out what it was worth. And so you've probably heard the term, there's gold in life, right? And then there's fool's gold. Unfortunately, there are too many Christians who settle for fool's gold in the choices they're making in life. And so Paul prays that we, as, his, as Christ followers, that we would have spiritual discernment not to settle for fool's gold, but that we would make wise choices, not according to our preferences, not according to the culture, but according to God's word. One author describes spiritual discernment this way. It's the spirit-bred ability to discern that which God has already marked off as essential or superlative regarding life in Christ. This ability includes not only distinguishing right from wrong, but also the best from second best. Now, if there was ever a day and age in which we need more discernment, it is now more than ever. We desperately need spiritual discernment. That is the ability to make wise and godly choices under pressure and then the courage to choose what is best according to God's word. Listen, there are situations in life where what is right is not easily discernible anymore. Things are not as black and white as they once used to be. And so it takes spiritual discernment to filter through the norms of our culture, the narrative of social media, the motivations of people, and even our own personal feelings to clearly see what is biblically right and then having the courage to choose what is biblically right. Paul says the same thing in Romans 12, verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's what God wants for your life. But it's even more complex than that, because many times, listen to me, what is good... It's the greatest enemy of what is best. So how many of us here have, have settled for second best or perhaps even worse because we just lack spiritual discernment? As one pastor put it, we need to pray that we will know the good from the bad, the better from the good, the best from the better, and then choose those things that are best. In other words, Paul is telling us straight out here, don't settle for second best in this life and in your relationships. Be people who can discern the difference between what is good, better, and best, between things that matter... ...eternally speaking, from the things that don't matter that are just temporary. You say, why? Why is this so important? So that you will live a holy life as a Christian, as a Christ follower... ...which brings us right into the third part of Paul's prayer. Pray that your life will be holy. So pray that your love will abound more and more... Pray that your discernment will increase even more and more and pray that your life will be holy. Paul's desire is that we will be ready for something. We will be prepared for something. Something important is getting ready to happen. Something important is coming. Are we ready for it? You're like, what's coming? What is it? No, it's not that date, Jack, that you got next week. That's not it. Zach, I know you're getting ready for softball, but that softball game is not it. It's as important as that is. Brandon, I know you're getting ready to get married. And that's super important, but that's not it. That job interview you have, I know that is coming, and that's important, but that's not it. That's not what is most important. That's not what Paul is concerned about most here. He wants us to be ready for the coming day of Jesus Christ. That's what's coming. And so he prays now, verses 10 and 11. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. This is what Paul wants for you. He wants people who are ready to stand before Jesus Christ on the day of his return. And Paul often prayed for this, he prayed for other churches to be prepared. To be ready for the judgment day of Christ. In other words, Jesus is coming and the question is, are we ready? The fact that Jesus is coming should change the way we love and the way we live. And I think the reason that we so often settle in this lifetime of ours for second best or worse is because we completely forget about this eternal perspective. Do you realize that one day you will die and the next thing you will be standing before the throne of Jesus Christ to give an account of your life spent here on this earth? Do you realize that? And so in light of that truth, in light of that reality, we should pray to this end. We should seek to live a holy life ...that brings glory to God. So what does that look like? Well, we're not left to wonder about that... ...because Paul tells us. He says, first of all, living a holy life... ...it's this, it is seeking to live a blameless life... ...till the day of Christ. Knowing that Jesus is coming... ...should cause us to live a pure and blameless life. In the first, that is pure... ...has more to do with the inner character... ...while the second, blameless... ...has more to do with outer conduct... Pure here simply means sincere, without hidden motives or pretense. And so think of it this way uh, one who is pure, it's a life without hypocrisy. In other words, somebody who is pure, what you see is what you get. Whereas blameless means without offense, without stumbling. It describes one who does not stumble into sin or even cause others to stumble into sin. So think of it this way. A person who's blameless is one who lives with integrity. You might think back to the Old Testament character of Job. It would describe to Job that he was blameless and shunned evil. That's conduct due to his inner character. And so since God looks on the heart, we are to be pure and blameless. It means to live openly, live honestly before God and others. It means you don't live a double life. Putting on a good front around some people... ...but living another way when you're around other people. So seek to live a pure life, a blameless life... ...free from stumbling into sin. And thus, because you're not stumbling... When Jesus comes, you can stand upright on that day in the presence of Jesus Christ who sees all and knows all. Pure, blameless. That's our desire. Seek to live that kind of life. And then Paul says, second of all, seek to live a righteous life through Jesus Christ. Listen, here's the good news. And it is wonderful news. At the moment that you trust in Jesus for your salvation, do you know what God does in your life? He gives you the righteousness of Christ so that you now have a right standing before a holy God. That is, we are declared righteous and made acceptable to God through Christ. Listen, it's an act of mercy In an act of grace. God takes our sin, and if you can imagine this, he puts it on Jesus Christ, and in return, he gives us the righteousness of Christ, and he covers us with that. Is that not glorious? That is good news. That is our secure position in Christ before a holy God, never to be altered, never to be changed. But the Christian life is also a process of now growing in that righteousness of Christ. In other words, we are now called, because we have been called by God to be Christ followers and been redeemed and changed, we are now also called for the rest of our lives to what? To live righteously. As the word fruit implies, this is a lifelong process. It is not something instantaneous. But listen to me. As we submit to God, as we grow in his word, the fruit of the spirit, by the way, whose first characteristic is what? Nine fruit of the spirit. The very first one is love. That fruit of the spirit, it is produced in us. And this righteousness will be evident in our lives. It will be evident in our relationships with one another, in our choices, and in our conduct. Now, in case you're like, oh, I don't know, that seems awful hard. I don't know that I can do that. You're right, you can't. And so Paul provides a wonderful word of hope when he writes that this fruit of righteousness, notice it, it comes through who? Jesus Christ. It doesn't come through you. Listen, we aren't left to our own power to live a pure life, to live a righteous life. Paul tells us that it comes through Jesus Christ. I like what John Chrysostom said about this verse. Paul is not speaking here of a kind of righteousness or virtue that tries despairingly to grow without Christ. No, no, no. It's just the opposite. In fact, according to John 15, it's as we abide in Christ, we what? We bear fruit. We bear the fruit of righteousness in our lives. Now, question as we come to the end. Why does Paul pray this? I mean, after all, Paul could have chosen any prayer. He could have prayed anything. Here's the Apostle Paul. He knows the Word of God. He knows the Scripture. He's the greatest apostle who ever lived a gazillion different things he could have prayed for on behalf of you and these Philippian believers. So why did he choose this prayer? Why does he pray that our love will abound, that our discernment will increase, and that our lives will be holy? He prays these things for one reason and one reason only, for the fame of God's name. This is the ultimate purpose of Paul's prayer at the end of verse 11 when he says, to the glory and praise of God. Now, step back from that for a moment. Look up here because I want you to see something. Don't miss the connection that Paul is making to the glory of God and his joy in the journey. They are tied together, they are connected, they are linked. And so again, the question of application becomes, if you don't have a lot of joy in your journey in life, you need to be asking yourself, is that because my life does not give glory to God? Am I not living to the glory of God? Is that not my purpose in life? Even though I may say it is. Because your actions speak louder than words. Listen, Paul is showing us here that his joy in the journey is the direct result of living for God's glory in life. And so here's the thing. Notice this. This is the heart of the sermon here. Live to the glory of God in all your life and you will experience joy in the journey. But here, here's where we are so deceived, at, even as Christ's followers. We think, we have bought into the lies of the world in our culture. We think that living for our glory is what brings us joy. And when I say our glory, all I mean is living our way, doing our thing, thinking we know what's best and how life works and relationships and marriage, finances, this, this, and that. And we just throw God's word out the window. And we're like, nope. I'm doing it my way, and I'm living to my glory, and I think that's what's going to bring me joy, because after all, I want to be happy in life. And there's too many Christians have bought into that myth. And then you talk to him, and they're just like, no joy in their journey at all, and you're like, Duh. Connect the dots here. Listen, living for God's glory is what brings you joy in your journey. And our first responsibility as Christ followers is to embrace that truth. Do you buy it? Listen, there is no higher purpose in life than to glorify God. And if you don't glorify God... You don't glorify God in order to do something else. To glorify God is not an end to another means. Instead, everything you do is to glorify God. Listen, this is Paul's ultimate purpose in life. This is why he got up in the morning. This is why he labored in ministry. This is why he endured so much suffering. This is why he wrote so many letters to churches. This is why he prayed that your love, my love, will abound more and more. And that our discernment will increase and that our lives will be holy. It's all driven. It's all motivated by a desire to see God glorified. In his life, and in the lives of these Philippian believers, as well as in the lives of LifeBridge. That is his passion. It's not just a one-time thing. That he expresses here in Philippians. He says this almost in every book that he writes. For example, he prays in 2 Thessalonians 1 11 to 12. He says, To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. Notice it. So that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, in you and him, according to the grace of our God in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we need to pray for ourselves and for each other. Husbands and wives, this is a great prayer to pray for your spouse. Parents, This is an awesome prayer to pray for your kids. You're like, I don't know what to pray for my kid about. Seems like I'm praying for the same thing, that he just listened. Pray this prayer. Grandparents, what a phenomenal prayer to pray for your grandkids. In church, this is a great prayer to pray for one another. And yes, this is a great prayer to pray for yourself as well. That your love will abound. That your discernment will increase. That your life will be holy. And the result of that, when God answers that prayer, is your life will give glory to God, which brings joy in your journey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge this morning that too often our lives are not characterized by discerning love and holy living. Too often we are living for this present world instead of in light of that day when Christ returns. Too often we are living in our own wisdom instead of looking to God and his word. And so we cry out for forgiveness and that you would search our hearts and you would help us to see our lives in the mirror of God's word here in Philippians. And help us to see that where there is a need for forgiveness, there is so much grace in Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, Paul prayed. I just prayed. And now I want you to pray. You're like, what? Yeah, we're in church. It's okay. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your heads right where you're at right where you're seating, and I want you to pray this prayer. I want you to take one minute, two minutes, and pray this prayer. You can pray it for yourself. You might pray it for somebody else, even sitting next to you, without you telling them that you're praying for them. So right now, would you bow your heads? You you can even choose the option to pray Paul's words right out of Philippians. Or you might want to personalize this prayer and put it in your own words. I've even provided a sample of that in your notes. So let's pray. Pray for discerning love and a holy life. I'll say amen listen that is a wonderful prayer to prayer pray not just now let me encourage you don't hesitate to take this prayer home and pray it tonight before you go to bed pray it in the morning when you get up in fact i would encourage you write it on a card a little note card maybe put it in your your mobile device pray it on your way to work when you just don't know what to pray Paul tells us what to pray right here. It is a prayer for discerning love and a holy life so that you will give glory to God and have joy in your journey. What a phenomenal prayer.